Well, good evening. Tonight we are going to get into the Word in Genesis 12. And so, um, as you remember from last week, we wrapped up the flood story, we talked about the Tower of Babel, and very quickly moved into what is the first of what we would call the patriarchs of the Hebrew nation, which is Abraham. Abram, his, his birth name. And tonight we're going to talk about the call of Abraham and how important that is for essentially setting the stage for the entire Bible, for the entire promise of God to the people of the earth, um, to establish what is essentially a group of people who have a special status on this planet. And, and this is something that is very important, um, not just to the world, but to the Christian uh, community, and of course to the Jewish people, that there is this group that God has decided to reveal himself through, at least initially, to bless, to reveal his truth, and through those people, the whole world will be blessed. And in fact, through this one person we're going to talk about will be blessed tonight. So what I think we should do is just go ahead and start, and I'll ask for a volunteer. We're going to read Genesis chapter 12, the entire thing, uh, 1 to uh, verse 20. Who would like to volunteer to read that for me tonight? The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will place a curse on those who harm you. All the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left Haran, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. At this time, Abram was 75 years old. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and everything they owned, as well as all the servants they had gotten in Haran. They set out from Haran, planning to go to the land of Canaan, and in time they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the great tree of Morah at Shechem. The Canaanites were living in the land at that time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he traveled from Shechem to the mountain east of Bethel and set up his tent there. Bethel was to the west and I was to the east. There Abram built another altar to the Lord and worshipped him. After this he traveled on toward southern Canaan. At this time, there was not much food in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to live because there was so little food. Just before they arrived in Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This woman is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Tell them you are my sister, so things will go well with me, and I may be allowed to live because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was very beautiful. The Egyptian officers saw her and told the king of Egypt, how beautiful she was. They took her to the king's palace, and the king was kind to Abram because he thought Abram was her brother. He gave Abram sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible diseases on the king and all the people in his house because of Abram's wife Sarai. So the king sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me Sarai was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I made her my wife? Now here is your wife. Take her and leave. Then the king commanded his men to make Abram leave Egypt. So Abram and his wife left with everything they owned. You probably know after uh, after a few weeks in this class what I'm going to ask you. What am I going to ask you? What's the point? What's the point? <laughs> yes, excellent. What's the meaning of this passage or meanings that the Lord called Abraham? Yes. This is the very first time because the only time we have heard about Abraham before this is just prior to this with uh, his family. In the end of verse 11, it said that... Uh, <clears throat> family left uh, Ur of the Chaldeans to travel to uh, Canaan, but they got caught in Haran and stayed there. So 
Now, what we talked about last week, of course, is the fact of why. And of course, you know, from a historic, this is the historical piece. This was a period in which the rise of cities was then kind of imploding on itself, war, famine, and um, inefficiency in the city management of the um, region, what we call Mesopotamia, which is modern day Iraq, which is basically this green area here, if this was the map, is it's being depopulated. People are fleeing the cities to find work, food, and success elsewhere. And so we know that, and if you can imagine, here's the, and here's my map, right? So, and it's just drawn very poorly. You can say this is modern day Turkey. This is the sea, uh, Mediterranean Sea, and down here would be Egypt. <clears throat> so if that gives you a reference point here, my horrible map, this is the modern, and it's not drawn to scale. This is the modern uh, day country of Israel, uh, what we would call Canaan in antiquity with Turkey being up here, all the way up here is this town called Haran. So Ur, they migrate to Haran, they stay for a long time, and then they're gonna make their way down here. Yes, so the beginning of 12 is God is now calling specifically to Abraham. Leave your country. What else? Now what does that mean, by the way? I wanna talk about this. This is really important. Right away, God is saying to this man to leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go somewhere else. What does that signify to you? Right? He's kind of vague. Um, at least in the, in the beginning. One thing to remember, this is historical context here, is that who you were as a person your identity was wrapped up in your family and your and your region, where you were from. That was everything to people. Who, who you were descended from, the region in which you lived, and because of that, we'll talk about two tonight, is the gods that you would worship. This was a period in human history when <clears throat> the worship of deities became a very personal household thing. So, so people would start to worship gods, very specific gods that that were very closely related to the identity of their family, and they would pass those traditions onto their, their children and their children's children. So your whole identity was wrapped up in that. Think about that for a minute too, that most human beings even today rarely move, you know, for the most part, away from their home. Most, most humans still today, even in the West, tend to grow up born, grow up, live, and die in the same area, even the same town that they were born in. It's becoming less common, but it's still very common, especially in, in develop, undeveloped parts of the world. In antiquity, during this period, the whole fact that people are depopulating cities and leaving their region is very different from the way humans have lived up until this point and even during this point. Now, he's here, this too, his family, they migrate, Terra and his family migrate to Haran, which is kind of northern Iraq today. And then they settle there for a, for a period of time. And again, that, they have made that their home. So this is very significant. This is very significant that now God is coming to Abram and saying, I need you to leave. I need you to leave everything behind. He, he traveled with his family to Haran. So that's not such a big deal because his whole family is with them all the relatives, all of the slaves and workers, you know, all of their cattle, their livestock, all of their belongings. Now he's saying, I need you specifically to leave that, that structure, that, that familiarity of your family unit and go on your way. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And I think you can interpret that as a huge leap of faith. What else did you read in here? 
he made some promises. That, yes. Uh, yep. You know, I mean, you were a great nation. Yes. Yeah. You would be blessed. You have a great name. Yes. Others would bless you. I would bless the countries that blessed you, and I would curse those that cursed you. Yep. Uh, this is this is a big one. Entire world through you. Remember, at this point, as far as we know from the from the previous paragraph in verse in chapter eleven. Now Sarai was barren; she had no children. Abram is seventy five years old, who take who sets out from Haran with his wife, who is barren, so he has no children. And God has just told him, you need to leave. You need to go to this place you've never been before. Oh, and guess what? Your descendants, right? You know, the whole world, you're, uh, uh, where does it say here? You will be a blessing, I'll bless you, and the people on the earth will be blessed for you. And to your offspring, I will give this land. You've got to imagine, Abraham just went, what? <laughs> I don't have offspring. What do you mean my offspring? I don't even have kids. I don't even have a a kid, much less kids, that, that this could happen. So what does that tell you about the situation here for, for Abram? You need to trust God. Yeah. This is a, a moment this of huge action. Yes. Of faith. I say building. <coughs> And it kind of makes you understand why God picked Abram. Mm. Because he must have seen that he had faith. Like he would be a person. Right. Yes. There's no evidence that God was Abram's God before this. We don't know. Correct. Does it say in here? Um, We are sure that their family had other gods they were worshiping. In this and subsequent chapters, we will find that the family was already worshiping other gods. So this is weird. This is weird. All of a sudden, a family who must have been worshiping idols and, and gods of nature and, and of their family and all of this, all of a sudden there's this, this new one. <laughs> there's this new one. Um, we'll make this point here tonight and in subsequent lessons that we have begun, God has begun a slow revealing of himself to Abram. Um, there, again, I say, just because the Bible doesn't include it doesn't mean it didn't happen. There seems to be very little evidence here that God has told him everything yet. Uh, it seems like there's just shoestrings here. So how, how interesting is that, that with such little information, God is still expecting Abram to follow him, and Abram is choosing to follow him. Uh, that says a lot about, about Abram, I think. seems interesting that he chooses to follow him, but then doesn't necessarily trust that what he's doing is the right thing. Yes. He, uh, he keeps, like he has moments of faith, huge moments of faith, where it's like, okay, we're going to pack up and we're going to move, you know. And what yep. would be their time across the world. Yep. And then you get there, and then he doesn't trust that God's going to take care of him when he gets there. Exactly. Who's and, and then God has to reveal himself some more. And yes. 
slowly. But it does, at, at first, at first glance, you know, when she started low, it doesn't make sense. Like, mm -hmm. We think, looking back, we think of Abraham as, you know, great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. following God and everything, mm -hmm. but yeah, when you stop to think, he didn't even know God before mm -hmm. this. Yes. So yes. It, it would make some sense that, you know, his faith would not be mm. real strong at this point. Yes. This Bible says that he likely worshipped the moon god. Okay. Before uh, he was called to leave his hometown. Um, how interesting is that? And, and and what we see here too, I think is interesting too, is there's no rebuking of that yet. There's no, I hi, I'm God. By the way, everything you're doing is sin. I'm going to destroy you. There's none of that yet. There's none of that yet. It's just gentle, like he's woken up from a deep sleep or a coma or something. He's just, hi, I'm God. How's it going? Let's talk. Let's talk. He's also in the family line, not that the family line really matter, but looking yeah. at retrospectively, he's from the line of uh, you know, Seth, uh, Noah, and Shem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, not that that meant anything mm -hmm. to those people mm -hmm. at that time, but when you look back on mm -hmm. it, I mean, those people had great faith, you know, mm -hmm. Noah. And yes. So, <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yes, he, he's... Exact, absolutely, Craig. He is he is descended from them. What I want us to kind of think about as we talk about Abram and his journey is a journey that his descendants will make about uh, 500 years later, give or take. A group of people who God has chosen will leave a land on faith and have to go to a new place that God has, has designated for them as a, a holy place or a, um, a promised land. We're talking, of course, about Moses, 500 years later, would have to take the same leap of faith coming, of course, instead now from Egypt to follow and trust God, who they were immersed in all of the idolatry of the time themselves. Right, Abram is is totally immersed in the in the religion of Mesopotamia. Moses and his people were immersed in the gods of Egypt of the time. Both had to get cleaned. <laughs> Both had to get fixed, and that was a slow process. For Moses, it took forty years. His him and his people wandered in the desert on purpose for forty years as God cleansed them and trained them and brought them up properly and taught them about Himself. It took 40 years for him. For Abram, it's going to take as long, right? It's going to take time, and this is great. This, this indicates that God is not a God of snap, immediate, I expect this from you, I told you, so why aren't you doing it? Now I'm going to destroy you. He's slow, he's patient, he's careful, because he knows us. He knows it takes time for us to accept this. The Egypt thing is interesting, isn't it? He goes to Egypt, and the very first thing that he does is kind of, I don't see him seeking God here, right? So he's kind of already kind of on his own. God did not inflict that punishment on Abram, though. I think that's interesting. So Abram probably slipped up in not being honest. And, and by the way, the fact that Abram is immediately in the court of Pharaoh says something about Abram and his wealth. I think we need to be honest about that. You don't just show up 
an Asiatic, they would call them, to the court of Egypt and go see a pharaoh. I think that indicates that when he and his family and his servants fled to Egypt because of the, the uh, drought and the famine, he obviously was an obvious man of wealth and power and status. So he is immediately you know, being accepted into the, the, uh, you know, into the Pharaoh's court. What, how, how would you interpret <laughs> this kind of foreshadowing of what happens to the Pharaoh's people? What happens to them as he takes Sarai, thinking that it's, she's available into his bedchamber, essentially? Plagues! Well, we've heard that before, haven't we? We've heard now a foreshadowing of some of the things that are going to start to happen to the people of Egypt because they are, they are not being righteous to the, to the people of God, right? Plagues. That is absolutely a foreshadowing of the next book, which is Exodus. <clears throat> Yeah. He didn't want, nowhere does it say God say, he said go to Canaan. Yeah. He didn't say, well, go down to Egypt yes. if you like it. So yeah. he went down to Egypt without God directly telling him to. And then God's like, mm-hmm. well, I need to get him back. I want him to yeah. go back to Canaan. And guess what? He goes back to Canaan because yeah. the king of Egypt yeah. takes him out yep. and says, go back to Canaan. Mm-hmm. So God can, even when you do something, yeah. God can yeah. you know, nudge you back to where you're yeah. supposed to be. I like that. I like that. Okay. He wasn't really yeah. trusting God when he went no. to Egypt. No. The famine was a test. Mm. He wasn't supposed to. That was a trial, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. He wasn't supposed to leave. Who's. Yeah. With Sarah, he actually. He, he was deceptive what he said because yeah. she was actually his half sister. Mm hmm. Mm. Good point. But he was not telling the truth. Exactly. He didn't say that. Right. This is my wife. Right. It's a good point. It was deception. Yes. Yep. And you know, I think this lack of faith is really telling. When when God tests us, is that because God doesn't know what's going to happen? No. We, we believe in an, a, an omniscient God that knows the future and past. We, we believe that God already knows the outcome. The testing is often for whom then? It's for us. Like, us, yeah. Because God told him, I will make you a great nation. Nation, I'll bless you. I'm going to make you famous. Yeah. You know, your people, you know, your descendants and stuff. And so but what, what Abram's afraid of, he yeah. makes... They tell the lie because he says they're gonna kill me and let you live, yeah. and so he doesn't really trust that yeah. he's gonna have descendants, or yeah. that, you know, he doesn't mm-hmm. really trust God yet. Right. So he's being tested whether he does or not. I, I I am one of those people that believes that when God tests us, whether we pass or fail, if you want to think of it that way, no matter the outcome, the the purpose was to tell us something about ourselves. The only way you can really the, the Greek word here for testing in the New Testament and what the, the Greeks used for the Old Testament translation means to test a um, piece of, of gold that someone says is gold by rubbing it on a stone, a, a basically a black stone, to see if the gold comes off properly. If, if it is soft gold, 
it should come off on this hard black substance and you'll see a streak of gold. If it is fake gold, like um, pyrite or, or bronze or something like that, it's not strong enough and nothing will come off. The, the point is testing, and I love that analogy, testing is to prove the truth of something. You're gonna prove the truth of, you know, in this case, a nugget, is it real gold or not? And you will know. In the case of testing God testing us, I think it's to show us truth, to reveal something about ourselves to us, to ourselves. He knows it already. Whether we, quote, pass or fail, I think here, this must have left a mark on Abram. This must have left a mark. He must have, he must have looked back on this. And as we'll see later in chapter 13 when we, when we read about this, he's obviously gotten a lot more brave. <laughs> when you look at, in chapter 14, when you look at, you know, I'll just kind of give it away, Abram's going to go back to Canaan. He's going to have his nephew Lot be kidnapped by these foreign kings, and he is going to go after him. In that case, Abram has completely changed his tune. Now he has a lot of courage. And actually does something that you might say to yourself is rather foolish. He's going to chase these kings who have a very substantial army, and he's going to win. I think my interpretation is Abram, when he was tested, he learned from that. He learned from that. Oh, okay, I can trust God. I can trust him. I did this thing, and it didn't work out because I took it on myself to trust myself and not trust God. And even though he said, don't worry, I worried. And now I've learned from that. I believe our testing, if you're a believer, leads to fruit. It teaches us something about ourselves that we can then use to build for later. We can then use to build for later, and I think that happens. Because he had the whole thing thought out in a yeah. fearsome type thing. Like, yeah. the Pharaoh's going to kill me and take my wife. You know? He's already convinced he knows yeah, what's going to happen. He's thinking he's dead. Yep. So. And, look, he, that you might have a rational reason to believe that, right? If... Yeah. All well, right, exactly. I mean, he knows how this works, right? He's like, I'm going to be like all the others. Great. Okay. What? Yeah. He's, well, so when they moved, he was 75. Yeah. Suddenly she was 65. And then they don't say how long he traveled right. or whatever, but let's say they're still the same age. Mm-hmm. That means Sarah is 65, mm-hmm. and he still says she's like a very beautiful woman. Pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. They both lived to be about 175. So that's... <laughs> you're like, she'll look old when she's 150. Uh, she's just in her youth. That's exactly it. She's just a third of her final age. That's kind of interesting. Well, the desert, it keeps you preserved, maybe. I don't know. Vitamin D. That's it. Uh, see? I get out in the sun. Vitamin D, it's good. I want to talk for just a minute about... This is, this is really important because it kind of gets at the context. I, I asked the three questions in this class. Who wrote it? Who is the audience? And what's the purpose, right? Well, in this case, you know, who is writing it? It's, it's generally people that have written this down over time and have experienced this. This was written to the Jewish nation. The, the audience here was the Jewish nation of the time, right? The Jewish nation was, was living in a period of polytheism. The world is awash in a belief in multiple gods. There's really no evidence that any culture on earth is monotheistic until the Hebrews arise. And I don't care what Bob Breyer says. He's a very smart guy. But I don't believe that. um, I believe it was, in fact, Yahweh. 
revealing himself to the Jews, uh, the Hebrews. My point here is I want you to think about the audience and the people who are in Genesis of Abram's time, what they would have thought about all of this. Gods of the period, there are many, for the most part, are very different than our concept of God, the Father that we worship today. And this is, I'm going to just take like five minutes to talk about this. It's super important because even today, even today, if you are not a Judeo-Christian and to some degree a Muslim, you are probably polytheistic still. There's still many people on earth that think there are many gods populating the universe. And it's important to understand how the world sees those, those beings because it's very different what Judaism brings to the table here. First of all, most, most gods that humans worship have to do with nature. They are nature or they control nature. The biggest offender here in the time of the uh, Israel and, and Judah was Baal, the thunder god. People worship gods that have to do with thunder and lightning and rain and the harvest and fertility. So that's, that's one. The next is they're all manipulative. All, you know, false gods that humans believe in have some sinister axe to grind against humanity. And they tend to manipulate human beings for their own gain. So go sacrifice this animal for me or go wage war on that person or you know, bring, me, bring me your food and your produce and your liquors you know, uh, so that I can enjoy them. And they have these human-like qualities. They act like humans. They're, they have all kind of the bad qualities of humans. They're not really benevolent. They're not really there to help you. You're an annoyance to them. You're kind of like a flea is to a dog. You're biting me, get off, I'm going to kill you. From time to time, you will try and worship them through flattery, right? Telling them how great they are and how beautiful they are and how wonderful they are so that they'll help you with their magic powers, right? So that you'll make the rains fall and my crops grow. So I'll go out and I'll try and appease those gods so that they help me. But they usually don't have a vested interest in helping you. If they do, you're kind of lucky about that. Again, they use humans for their own gain and pleasure. They want to get something out of you. It's not altruistic. They have human needs. Again, they get hungry. Um, They wage war. They hate. It's often focused on groups. And again, this gets at this idea in, in antiquity of your family and your region Gods would be associated with a particular city or, or, or zone or region that you would be in. And that god has his powers or her powers there. If they leave, they have no power. So if you had an idol, for instance, let's say in Shechem, that was a kind of rain or storm god, if you were to take that idol out and take it down you know, to the Negev or something down here, he might not have any power to make it rain. His power, her power was in the region. So that's, again, tying these ideas of the gods and their powers to particular groups of people or regions or cities or towns. And they were very impersonal. This is also very important. They don't give a rip about you. They don't give a rip about you. You're too insignificant. You're an ant. They're the boot, right? I want you to think about that now and how weird Jehovah is to them. How weird what Abram must be saying to his family about what he's hearing in his dreams, what he's hearing with his ears, what he's experiencing in his heart, going to his wife, going to his 
um, servants. You'll never believe what I just heard last night. In contrast to all of these things, right? Our God that we believe is real, the source of all of this, is about as opposite as you can get here. God, Jehovah, is not nature. He made nature. He created nature. He is absolutely not manipulative. As you see here, Jehovah could have done all kinds of things to force Abram to go to Canaan. And when, Cain, when Abram tried to leave, he could have done a lot of nasty things to Abram to make him stop. But we didn't see that. We see a patient God, a fatherly God, who's not getting anything out of this. That, you know, here, God gets nothing out of it. No, he gets no tangible value out of his relationship with us, if you want to think of it that way. Caring and loving. I would say caring and loving. It comes across as one who walked with his creation in the Garden of Eden. And when his creation sinned, instead of just destroying them on the spot, he gave them another chance. We see this giving many chances here. Worship with flattery. We see no evidence yet that God is like, Hi, I'm God. Tell me how beautiful I am. There's none of that. He seems to be selfless, not selfish. Think about that for a minute. I don't know, you know, we were created in his image. Because yeah. when God calls Abram, doesn't he say that Abram has to do any, like, all Abram has to do is obey. Yeah. There's nothing, well, he doesn't even have to obey. God just tells him to do this and he can probably take it or leave it, you know? There's nothing that Abram has to do or... This is really good, actually. You know? I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna say it even more. He gets like all the Abram gets all the benefits. Like he's yes. gonna be blessed and he's gonna have be famous and all these things and he really has to do nothing except for obey it. Abram didn't go to a volcano and say, I need children and, and pick up some fruit and throw it in. Please, volcano God, give it to me. God came to Abram. God came to Abram first. This tells you. There doesn't seem to be anything that God is getting out of this except changing the man. It seems like man is the focus here. Focus on man, individual, individual. This is so weird compared to every other religion. This is so weird. And here too, we're going to start to see, we see a very personal God. He doesn't seem to need anything that a human needs. He doesn't need human stuff. He doesn't need to eat. He doesn't need to sleep. Not at all. He doesn't seem to... There doesn't seem to be any indication that he has the likeness at all of any of the kind of deities that are worshipped of the period. So now think about that for a minute. Think about that. He's personable. He's loving. He's patient. He's giving. He's not taking. He gets nothing out of this relationship. People matter. This is super important. People matter to him. Oh, well, that's a big one. Why? Does that make sense to you? If it's true, and there is this being that is so all-powerful that I have no effect on him. I I couldn't hurt him. I couldn't stop him if I tried. Why would he care about me? 
Why would he care about me? But he does. He's saying, in fact, not only do I care about you, I care about you so much, I'm going to start to make promises to you. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> a, a promise that benefits man is unique in world religions from the aspect of the Hebrews. There is no evidence anywhere that any deity ever worshipped on this planet ever did something solely for the benefit of humans and they got nothing out of it. That's never happened. And it has never happened since. He's building Abraham's faith. Yeah. Faith building. Yeah. Step on. Yeah. Yep. What do you think about all that? Well, he's omniscient, he's all powerful, he's yeah. infinite, uh, he's all love, truth, yeah. you know, the light of the world. Mm. Uh, and he's patient with us because he knows that we're yeah. fleshly. And uh, I think there's a verse that uh, I think in Peter where, you know, it's, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand yeah. years is mm-hmm. one day, and he's patient with you that you would come, yeah. you know, it, to salvation and repent, right. you know. He's patient, so, and he is patient. That's, mm-hmm. He's patient with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He never Amen. Gives up on us. That doesn't sound like this category, does it? <laughs> when you were talking, it was making me think about like the contrast between God and the gods that the you know Hebrews knew. <coughs> it kind of reminded me of when Jesus comes, and he is a different Messiah than what they were expecting. It's kind of like God is a different kind of God than we were expecting, and Jesus is kind of the same. This is great. This is great. And and I really want to make this point that to extend that, Laura, which is <coughs> even today, um, among non-believers, and even among some believers, God isn't what you think he is. He's not. Um, I think you could argue that if you're a non-believer today, even if you believe in another religion or not, this is how you see it. This is how you see it. If there is a God, why would he care about me? If there is a God, he must be like all the other human beings I know. Out, ruthless, out to get what he wants or she wants. That's all we know is yeah. humanity. Yes. Where's the benefit yeah. for me or where's the benefit for them? Yeah. You know, follow the money or, yeah. you know, those exactly. kinds of things. We base our entire lives, our careers, everything off of yep. the idea of how, how do we do better. Yeah. And so it's hard for us to imagine mm-hmm. or even think about that yep. something would be given for nothing. Right. Right. And David writes a song. I think it's, uh, I can't remember the number, but it's uh, You Know Me When I Get Up and When mm-hmm. I Sit Down and You yep. Know Everything About mm-hmm. Me. You know how I was created yes. in my mommy's womb, mm-hmm. in my unformed parts. Yep. You, know, you know everything about me. Yep. You know, he knows us personally, and he knows us and he cares about us. How awesome is that? It is. How awesome is that? Isn't that, praise the Lord. Yes. I. <laughs> of all the things in, I mean, the, the universe, he knows us personally. <laughs> Psalm 139. It's Yes. I love that song. You get to know God, and the more 
big you realize he is, yes. the more amazing that is how he Yes. He's so big. Yes. And he still cares about yeah. us. Because yes. the more big he is, the, you, the more you realize, like, why would he? Like, like, you know, I don't know. It's just amazing. Even today, even as a, a mature Christian, it is our nature to always kind of start to lean back this way. Oh, I've done something wrong, so now God's going to destroy me. He just wants to make me suffer because I did this thing. <laughs> right? No, no, stay over here. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's very hard for us to get over that. What's happening to me is continual work to make me better, to help me to understand Him, to commune with Him so I can be more like Him, not less, and, and more like Him and not like other people. Why don't... Yeah. You said you always got to, you know, like if, if yes. people are worshiping yes. false gods. Yes. You know, the consequences for the Jews yes. when they did that. They were oppressed and they were yes. conquered and they were made slaves. Yeah. And mm-hmm. ba- Babylonian and yeah. conquest. And, you know, so, yeah. yeah. So, interesting. I was just thinking back with this January 6th thing that happened mm. with the riots on the Capitol. I don't know if you remember, but the day or two before that, there was a guy who opened, con- uh, uh, gave a speech to Congress in a prayer. Mm. Congressman, I think he was from Missouri or something. Mm. And he was praying to Brahma, the Hindu god. Oh, okay. The day before. Oh my. Okay. Hmm. It's very sad. Yeah, and then at January sixth happened. It's oh. an interesting timing. Interesting. Because it's kind of Coincidence. based on God's. Yeah. You know, the Correct. Declaration of Independence yep. based on you know God's mm-hmm. God's uh, plan for for us. You know, and and. Uh, Took a big turn there. You know, uh, but yeah, it's very sad. But but again, it's we always you you said it. We think of it as punishment or whatever, but it's not. Anything that happens is no. You're wrong. This is what we have to go through to get you back to Mm -hmm. me. Yes. And so every time something bad happens, whether it's today or whether it's then, it's. That's a good point. It's it's not God that did it. It's it's your decision got you here. Now this is what we have to go through to get you there. Mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. There's consequences to and so it's Exactly. And, and in some cases, it's it's walking around in the desert yeah. for 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll talk about later. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> With that, why don't we go ahead and... And I, we, we're going to get into a few chapters here that are really just kind of rapid-fire great stuff. Let's try and get through chapter 13 tonight. Genesis chapter 13. We'll talk about the next step here. Who would like to read that? Do you want to do that, Craig? So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into Negeb. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negeb as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar <clears throat> at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. There was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and because your herdsmen 
and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It is not the whole land before you, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. They thus separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. What do you learn from this? What sticks out to you? Well, he built two. This is the second altar. Yeah. How interesting. God's continued to fulfill the promise that he originally made to Mm. Abram. Okay. He took a detour. He still left Egypt with lots of wealth and riches, and to the point where it was too much. They started fighting over their wealth. (laughs) Actually, I had never thought of it that way. That is an excellent point. Not only did God not do this stuff, and I'm going to punish you and take away everything because you're not listening to me, right? You, he actually has more now. So much so that they have to part. That's an excellent point, Mike. But guess what else? There's still nothing in here that says if, 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 if. Be careful. Keep, you know, make sure you keep listening to me. Literally, the only thing here in chapter 13 that we hear God say is just, I'm going to keep giving it to you. I'm going to give it to you. There is no conditions right now. Just look around. The only condition was, hey, why don't you go enjoy the land that you're going to get? <laughs> How awesome is that? He's getting the... It's like eating your dessert before you ate the meal. Keep eating your dessert. You're going to get all of this. How awesome is that? It's kind of interesting that it says, like, after Lot left, then the Lord said to Abraham. That is interesting, so yeah. You know, because it never said that, mm-hmm. you know, when God tells him to leave, he does say, like, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's yeah. family. And then he brought Lot with him. Right. But I don't yep. know if that's like, mm-hmm. if he was necessarily disobeying or not, because right. his father was dead. Mm-hmm. Lot's father was, so he was mm-hmm. kind of his, maybe he thought that Lot was going to be his descendant. Mm, that's a good point, actually. That's a good point. This would be a period of culture where, yes, if you had no offspring, you could either have a close family member who you could essentially uh, will your your uh, your family name to, and they become your family, or it would be a servant or a slave. 
So that's a good point, actually. He may have thought that. And if there started to be some strife and uh, yeah. animosity between the yep. two, I mean, their yeah. employees and stuff. Yeah. And so Abraham had the solution and gave Lot a gracious, uh, I mean, the choice of which place he wanted to go. And yeah. And the plan to split, you know, split up. Yeah. And, but he gave Lot the choice of where do you want to go? You, you pick, you know. He was kind of gracious to, to Lot. Yeah. This shows some maturity, I think. Mm-hmm. We're starting to see some maturity here, yeah. which I think is, I think that's there for a reason. Which, again, look, Abram, make no mistake, Abram's the guy in charge. He's the alpha male. He owns all of it, essentially. He, he, Lot's lucky he's letting him tag along here. Abram could have very easily, like you said, took in the good stuff. What is the good stuff? You can't see it here. This is the, again, Mediterranean Sea. This is a plain. This is a flat and fertile plain, and for most of the history of the Jewish people was occupied by non-Jewish people. This would have been the uh, Philistines, uh, the Phoenicians. Uh, of course, Egypt would have had a claim all the way to the edge here. And this, of course, being the Negev, this is just desert. There's really the Sinai Peninsula comes down here. There's really not a whole lot there. This is mountainous. We call these the mountains of Judea. You would call them rolling hills. There are some mountains to some degree. This is a giant rift valley. So where you see the Sea of Galilee, which has been uh, Chinnereth in the past, the Dead Sea or Salt Sea, giant rift valley. So if you've ever been to somewhere like, I don't know, Palm Springs or something, you get the idea. You have this mountain range that suddenly stops, and there's this plain here that is obviously uh, watered by the Jordan River. And... There's a little mini lake up there. This is very fertile. So here is the thing that Lot wants. He wants this area. It's fertile. There's cities. There's going to be some fun down there. Meet some, you know, fun people. Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is a mountainous region that's really, you're not going to grow a lot of crops here. What you're going to do here is you're going to graze your herds. Uh, And it's, of course, less fertile. And it's rocky and that kind of thing. So so Abram takes this. And he moves around. You probably can't see it because I've written horribly here. Right here would be what we call Jabus at the time, where the Jebusites lived. That will become Jerusalem. The capital, just north of that, is a town called Bethel. That is not the same as Bethlehem, which is south of Jabus or Jerusalem. And north of Bethel is Shechem. And there are, of course, other towns we'll talk about later. South of Bethlehem is Hebron. So these are kind of the major cities or towns that Abram is going to be working around in here. We have three minutes left, and I think... Yeah. Because Lot took the good, the good land, yeah. you know, it's an opportunity for Abram to have more faith yeah. that God will continue right. to bless him. And, yeah. and he does. You know, he continues mm-hmm. to gain more and more wealth. And, mm-hmm. How cool is that? Bad, right. You know, but right. it's the area that God asked him to go to. That's it. That's it. That's great. We can see this kind of this walk of faith here. Let's do this. Stop there for tonight. What I want to do is just ask kind of what I ask every week. What is the takeaway here? This is all very interesting. We've learned a lot, hopefully, tonight. I've learned something. What, what is this for? How can I take this and apply it to my life? God cares about us. He's continually working. 
Nice. He never gives up on us. And he's very patient with us. Yes. Excellent. Um, this was the verse I was trying to think of. It's 2 Peter 3 8. Okay. Uh, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come reach repentance. I love that. Yeah. That's awesome. The patience of the Lord. You know, sometimes a day feels like a thousand years, doesn't it, Craig? Uh, <laughs> from our perspective. That's a good one. What else? I think for me it's that we should use every mm. moment, whether it's, well, every, not moment, but any experience in our life, whether it's good or bad, to build our faith that, mm. you know, even in the smallest things you can see God yeah. working in your life and then, you know, you can use that to help you in the future when you go through things yes. and know mm-hmm. that, well, I can remember all these things mm. in the past where God did this in this tough situation, or yeah. did this in this great situation, and I know that that means He He was faithful. He is faithful, and yeah. He will be faithful. He is faithful. Mm-hmm. You know? Guess what? I love this. I'm a huge fan of this. I used to be very good about this. Keep a prayer journal. Keep a prayer journal. As God is intervening in your life, whether a minor or major way, write it down. Write the result, especially if you pray for something and there's a result. What happened? If you're delivered from danger, if you've grown in your faith and that has seemed to result in fruit or more cattle, right? This is a prayer journal for every human on earth. A record of all of the faithfulness that God, and I'm holding the Bible up, all of the faithfulness that God has given to his people and through the Jewish nation, the Christians of the world, for thousands of years. This is a prayer journal. So we don't forget. You have an excellent memory. I don't. I have to write stuff down. What you're saying, Laura, makes a lot of sense to me. When something bad happens, all you have to do is go to your prayer journal. You can go to this prayer journal. This is a great one. Look at your prayer journal. How has God been faithful to me in the past so I know I can trust him in the future? How about you, Mike? Any takeaways? I don't know. Nothing. It's just... It's the same thing. I yeah. Mean, Abraham is starting to, you know, appreciate that. Hey, it doesn't matter what you take. I'm, I'm gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's he seems to be appreciating his position that God will take care of him regardless because he's promised to. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you take everything I have mm-hmm. or you take that, the good part or whatever. Yeah. And so it's just how do we? You know, there's yeah. we're essentially in the same position. It's, you know, I, uh, I, don't know, I was just reading something earlier today that talked about you know some people from New York went to this small village and I don't know they they, they talked to the fishermen and they're like why don't you why don't you go out and get more fish and then you can sell the fish and then you can make more money and they're like but why mm. and. Well, so that you could be rich and wealthy, and you know you could move to New York. And well, but why? Well, then you know you get all this wealth, so then you can mm-hmm. retire. Well, what do you do in retirement? Well, then you can do the things you enjoy: spend time with your children, go fishing. What? It, well, we're already doing it. Already doing it. <laughs> nice. So I love it's that. kind of it kind of relates to that. I think <laughs> Abraham, 
Abram's getting to the point where he's starting to realize that, hey, you know, it only took a you know, 100 or so years to get to this point. But, mm-hmm. what, what, 50 years, I guess? You know, I don't mm-hmm. know how much time has elapsed mm-hmm. in these last few verses, but he's still, he's still not 100, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's just... He's still just a young guy. He's still just a young guy. Well, he was, he was like 100, right, when he finally had a, his first... He's a spring chicken. He's a spring chicken, exactly, exactly. Right, wasn't Yeah. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. yeah. It's just making sure that if you can put your faith in God, and, yeah. and what you need will be taken care of. I love this. To that point, yep. you realize it. But we still make those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We still aren't. We we still aren't patient enough. Yeah. We're still like, okay, what am mm-hmm. I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. So, and, and the fact is, is it's, it's really. You don't have that. He, God's mm-hmm. not expecting something from you. That's it. That's exactly it. And Abram's going to make a whole lot more dumb mistakes. You Correct. Know, in the future. Yeah. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like we will too. Yeah. You know, but we're still. But he, you can see the evidence now. That it's doing this. We we see growth. Mm-hmm. We see development. We see maturity. And and what I've made the comment to some people in my life who think perfection is the goal. No. It's not perfection, it's it's maturity, it's growth. There's only one perfect being in this universe. It ain't me, right? Uh, what I'm, I'm trying to get people to do is encourage them to grow and mature, and you're on the right path here. You're, to the day Abram died, he wasn't perfect, but he was on the right path. He was learning from God and being his disciple, as I hope that we are. So, Cool. It's like trusting in God in all the circumstances, even when yeah. you don't seem good. Because I think when you're called according yeah. to his purpose, that he does all things good for you. That's you know, great. Essentially, even though they don't seem good at the time, because he's yes. got a different perspective yes. than we have. He knows everything, and he's infinite and omnipotent. Mm-hmm. We, we don't have that. Right. It's so easy to be faithful in good times. It's very hard to do it in bad times. And that's, again, so many analogies in the Bible. Be the house that's built on the rock, not the sand. Right. Be a, a tree planted by streams, not in the desert. Be the seed that falls on fertile soil. The whole point is be prepared in trusting God and learning to trust in Him so that when adversity comes, you're strong and ready to, to weather it. Cool. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us.